A reading from the first book of Samuel. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills, and the Lord brings life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. And now a reading from the Gospel according to John. Because of this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of life, of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did not I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The word of the Lord. John tells us that Jesus had begun his ministry traveling in the region of the Sea of Galilee Jesus had been teaching, preaching, praying, healing, making miracles happen to feed people. And because of all of these things, crowds began to follow. There were the twelve whom Jesus had called to be with him, but then there were many, many others who because of Jesus' reputation, because of Jesus' skill and expounding on the Word of God, because of Jesus' willingness and ability to speak about their faith in ways that they'd never heard before, they followed. And yet, there were questions. There were some who said that perhaps Jesus was only a charlatan, that Jesus was like so many who had come before, who was saying, I know the way to God, and yet eventually they would peter away, they would end their ministries, nothing much would happen. Maybe Jesus was one of those, a flash in the pan. 
There were some who began to wonder, perhaps, if Jesus were not, in our way of saying it today, just a little bit off his rocker. How could he speak as if he were God? Why would he take on the established religious authorities of the day? Maybe Jesus was actually something worse than just slightly mentally ill. Maybe Jesus was an out-and-out blasphemer, someone trying to put himself in the place of God. There were others who said, Jesus is dangerous. Jesus is talking about our faith and our historic religion and the whole society and culture that we put together and fought so long and hard to maintain, and now he's tearing it all down. We need to get rid of him. Others were confused. Jesus had fed thousands of people, and then he had started talking about the fact that he himself was bread for people's lives. People did not know what to make of Jesus. Some still followed. They hoped. Others were worried. Others were afraid. And so John tells us some of those who came to Jesus began to fall away. And so Jesus gathered the 12 around him and said, do you see those that are going away now? They're afraid, they're confused, they're upset, they're worried about their place in society. Will you leave too? And Peter, always Peter, Peter answers first. Peter says, Lord, where can we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. You are the one whom we have come to believe and to know is the Holy One of God. What did Peter mean by that? Why would Peter say of this itinerant preacher from nowhere born to nobody, why would Peter say that Jesus is the Holy One of God? And what did Peter mean by that? Well, let's look back at one of the scriptures that Peter surely knew. One of the scriptures that tells us a little bit about what the Jews thought about God, and specifically, God as holy. The passage we just heard is a passage that's actually a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise. If we were to set it to music today, we would have to kind of rock and roll like the prayer that you guys were praying a little while ago. Hannah praise that prayer. Hannah is married to Elkanah. Elkanah has another wife, Peninnah. That was common in that day. Peninnah had had a bunch of kids, which made Elkanah happy and made Peninnah happy, and it was the way it was supposed to be between Elkanah and Peninnah. But then there was poor Hannah. Hannah was not living up to her God-given role of having children. Hannah was barren, empty, unproductive. And so not only Elkanah, but the whole society around Hannah would look at her and say, you poor thing, God must not really love you. Hannah prayed to God. Hannah said, God, please give me a child. And a priest named Eli overheard Hannah praying and asked her what was wrong, and he said, I'll pray with you, I'll pray for you. And then Hannah has a son. 
His name is Samuel. Samuel will become the last great judge in a 300-year line of judges in Israel's history, and Samuel will anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. That's another story to tell. Let's go back to Hannah, the barren, forlorn, forsaken one who now is given a child and who prays to God. What does Hannah pray? She says, God, there is no holy one like you. There's that phrase again, that word again, the holy one. We are looking at some of the names and descriptions and titles of Jesus, but to, or, to understand those things, we have to go back to their Old Testament roots. We have to understand what Hannah meant when she said that God is holy. And what did she mean? She tells us in the rest of her prayer, she says, God, you're the one who raises up the defeated. You are the one who feeds the poor. You are the one who strengthens the weak. You are the one who heals the broken, the one who finds the lost and restores them to relationship with you. You are the one who takes the proud and the arrogant and those who think they are self-sufficient and takes them down a peg or two and reminds them that they are not God, that only you are God. And in all of that, God, you are holy. We use that term holy all the time. But I'm not sure that we always know what we mean when we say it. In its very simple form, the word holy means set apart, different from everything else. When we say that God is holy, we're saying that God is unlike anything else. That God is different from that God is perhaps even far removed from us and from the world that we inhabit. We use that term holy then to describe things that are meant to help us understand the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the specialness of God. We make certain places to be holy places, and we describe certain people as holy people. We describe certain words as holy scripture. All of which is to say that all of those things are set apart for a special purpose, a special role to take us into an understanding of the one who actually is holy. The easiest way to describe holy, I think, in our experience is to think about this place where we are. We do lots of things in this place, but they are all about worshiping God. We don't play hockey in here. We don't sit around with a couple of brews and some chips and shoot the bull about the latest scores. There's lots of things we do not do in here because here is the place that we have said is holy. It is set aside. It is special. And we know that it's just wood and stone and brick. But we have said it is a holy place so that we can meet the one who is holy. 
Hannah described God's holiness in terms of what God does, in terms of who God is, and she really only scratched the surface. When we say that God is holy, we say that God is unsearchable, God is incomparable, God is incomprehensible. God is the one who manifests the innermost reality of everything because God created everything. God is all about majesty and purity and greatness and wonder. God is the source of everything that is. God gives meaning to everything that is. God is the energy that fuels everything else that exists. God is the one who is behind all things, before all things, above all things, beneath all things, in all things, through all things, and to whom all things will go. And that description only scratches the surface and never can penetrate to the depth of who God is. And that's what we mean when we say God is holy. Peter said, Jesus is holy. Really? How could that be? It's quite a confession. It's quite a proclamation. If Jesus is just a man, then what Peter has said is blasphemy. It's wrong. It's dangerous. But we believe that Jesus is God. That just like God is holy, Jesus is holy. Peter and some of the other disciples had begun to figure it out. They'd begun to decipher who Jesus was. They didn't know it perfectly, nor do we, for that matter. But in the depth of his being, Peter began to understand that Jesus had a direct line to God because Jesus was God. That Jesus had a power in his life, that Jesus had a peace in his life, that Jesus had the wisdom and the impact and the ability to teach people about God and reality and themselves in a way that nobody else could because Jesus was the author of life. Jesus was holy. Some people want to make Jesus into just a really good teacher, a really courageous champion of the poor and a, and a really courageous warrior against the evils of the systems of the day. And he was all those things, but so much more because he was holy. What do we do about that? Jesus said to us, as he said to his other disciples, you can be holy just like me. You are meant to be holy just like me. Jesus' whole point was not just about coming down here to die for us so we could go to heaven. His whole point was to die for us so that we could go to heaven. And then before we get there, to learn about heaven. To become heaven. To be holy even as he was holy. He wasn't the first to talk about that, of course. That was part of the message of the prophets of the Old Testament, the teachers of the Old Testament. Israel knew that it was meant to be a holy nation set apart for a special purpose of helping other people learn about God. And they began to do that and to take that special role, and yet they got off track with it. 
So we have to talk about the Pharisees for a minute. Now, I grew up in church, and I learned that the Pharisees were the bad guys, and Jesus was the good guy. And I was probably in my 20s before someone said to me, and said, Jack, you realize that, that everybody is a Pharisee. It's true. There is a bit of Pharisee in each one of us. Because we take the holiness of God, and we try to make it into something that it's not. Here's how the Pharisees did it. The Pharisees created a list of rules and regulations. As long as they kept that particular list of rules and regulations, they thought they were holy. Here's another way they did it. They decided that in order to be holy, they had to stay away from unholy things, especially unholy people. They would not associate with people unlike themselves. All those sinners over there. And that's one way to keep yourself holy, all right. Just don't be part of anything that's not holy. And yet Jesus arrived on the scene with a power, with a passion, with an ability to talk to God and to speak for God and to do things that only God could do. And Jesus did exactly the opposite of the Pharisees. He didn't give people lists of rules and regulations. And even worse, Jesus hung out with unholy people. Do you realize that? If we were to paraphrase the scriptures today, we would say that Jesus went to eat with tax collectors and sinners and Republicans and Democrats and Texans and Californians and women and men, and Jesus hung out with everybody. All the bad people. All the people your mother warned you about. All the people you try to protect your children from. Now Jesus could do that in a very special way, of course, because Jesus was Jesus. He was God. You and I, when we hang out with bad people, the temptation is for us to become like them. Did you ever think out about the fact that you might be one of those bad people that somebody else's mother didn't want their children to hang out with? Jesus took the holiness of God and took it right into the middle of the sinful world. And then, of course, he called it to be something different. That's good news for you and me. It's good news because you and I are not holy, not a one of us. Not the one who's taught junior high Sunday school for 50 years. Not the one who's sung in the choir for 50 years. Not the one who's been to the best seminaries in the world and been ordained. None of us are holy. Jesus comes to each one of us and says, let me take your unholiness and transform it and renew it and change it and you will begin to become holy. We must hold these two things together in our hearts and in our lives. The fact that God is holy. God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is the one who can teach us and empower us to live in the way that he means for us to live. And we do that together with a whole bunch of unholy people. I think I might have mentioned this to someone later, or earlier this week. A fellow went to, uh, uh, to have a, a, a drink one night at the bar, and it turns out he was sitting next to a pastor of the local church. 
that pastor was taking seriously what Jesus said about hanging out with sinners. <laughs> and the guy said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, I, you know, I, I would love to be part of your church, but the, but the fact is, is that the church is just full of hypocrites. And the pastor said, well, our church is not full of hypocrites. We still have room for you. That's what Jesus did. He went and hung out with the hypocrites and then offered them a new way of life, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's holiness reaches down into our unholy hearts to transform them so that we then can reach out to others' unholy lives and invite them to that same transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who does it in the power of the Spirit, manifesting the holiness of God that rescued Hannah and that rescues us. Praise be to God. Amen.